Glad that you're here this morning. Um, we are continuing in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 8. I was talking to somebody the other day and I hadn't really realized we've been walking through the book of Acts since like September, October. <laughs> and we're in chapter 8. It's just good, right? It's just good stuff. It's full of stuff. And it's almost like right at the end of one chapter, it tags on something um, to that next chapter. And so we are in this series called Unstoppable. God building his church. God bringing the message to the world of Jesus Christ. And, and we've seen over these last few weeks, through chapter through chapter, we see how the church was born and began to grow. And uh, through attacks, through difficult times within and without, people trying to stop it, it just keeps on going. It got to you and me here to, today as well. This morning, well, this is a big day, right? Somebody came up to me this morning and said, it's a big day, a big Big competition. I was like, yeah, Jesus against the devil. Jesus wins every time, right? No, I know there's a Super Bowl today. There's a football game. I was thinking about it. <clears throat> I was getting this message ready. I thought about, I heard this week that, I'm going to just go ahead and throw out some of these names here. I heard that Taylor Swift, right, she was, she's trying to get back for the game. I guess she's back. I don't know. But I heard that she is uh she is. Uh, she requested. Now this may just be a rumor. She wanted the NFL to pay for her trip back from her to the to get to the game. This might just be a rumor, but I heard it in a couple different places. It's interesting because <clears throat> to have that kind of power, right? Because she knows the NFL has been booming, right? We've got extra. The NFL has extra viewers now that they didn't have before, and uh, she's like, "Well, this is making you money, so." Uh, Maybe you should pitch in a little bit towards me. Um, very interesting um, to have that kind of power, right? To be able to even make that request or make that uh, statement. But this morning, um, I want to communicate clearly through chapter 8 of the book of Acts that, you know, we can bargain with one another. We can make deals with one another. This is the world that we live in. We can even manipulate one another as human beings. But as far as our relationship with God, as far as God goes himself, he cannot be manipulated, right? He cannot be coaxed. He cannot be talked into a bargain. He cannot be talked into uh, making a deal with us. There was this occasion where P.T. Barnum years ago you know, he was the head of the great Barnum and Bailey Circus. He invited Charles Spurgeon to speak in a large tent that he was having uh, this traveling circus in. And Spurgeon, um, his preaching had begun to, to draw tens of thousands of people to his messages. And, and P.T. Barnum saw this and he thought, you know what, we could collaborate a little bit. And he invited Spurgeon to come and to speak at one of his shows, one of the circus shows in the tent. Uh, he thought this was a great opportunity, and he said this to Spurgeon, to grow the attendance. They could both um, benefit from it. And he said, um, the, only, the only thing is all the money, all the profits go to P.T. Barnum. But he did make an offer to Spurgeon. He said, listen, I'll give you $1,000 
for every message that you bring, as long as we're making money. And it was in interesting because that's a generous offer in Spurgeon's day, and it would have pers persuaded many probably, but not Spurgeon. Spurgeon sent a letter back to P.T. Barnum, and this is uh, what it said. Thank you for your kind invitation, Mr. Barnum to lecture in your circus tents in America. You will find my answer in Acts chapter 13, verse 10. Very sincerely yours, Charles H. Spurgeon. Now, we don't know if P.T. Barnum looked that up or not, but I was curious. Acts 13, 10 says this, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Whoa, that's a stern response, right? Why so stern? Why so strong? Because this is the very thing that keeps man separated from God. The desire to be God myself, the desire to find salvation and purpose in me in what I can do, and what I can purchase, and what I can manipulate. And God will not share his throne. Jesus came to save you and to save me from that very thing. And so in chapter 8, we're getting ready to read, beginning in verse 1, we're going to see this very thing of man trying to manipulate God. Now just a quick flashback before I read uh, verse 1. Um, as we come up to this place, you remember the church needed tables served, and so they chose some, some deacons, quote-unquote deacons, to serve the tables, and they, they, served, they chose seven men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit and good repute to help serve tables, to help serve uh, in the church. And one of those men was Stephen, right? And Stephen was full of wisdom, the Bible says, and in chapter 7, we see that he stood up and he preached the gospel before the leaders in Jerusalem there. Sadducees and Pharisees and political leaders. And they did not like that. And they murdered Stephen. They stoned Stephen to death in front of everyone. And that's how chapter 7 ends. And now we begin in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. Speaking of Stephen. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So let's just stop right here for a second. Stephen started something by his death. Well, actually, God started it in his church, but God worked through Stephen. He created a problem. But in this problem, God was working supernaturally and sovereignly to build his church. See, this is part of God's plan. Remember, in chapter 1 of Acts, Jesus said, Stay here, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the other ends of the world. That was God's plan. And right here we see through the persecution, they were spread, they were dispersed. 
all over the place. God was making it happen. This was God's plan. Listen, God accomplishes his plan in ways that you and I don't always think of. Don't always seem the most beneficial or expedient to us. God has his ways and that's why he's God. And so he works through this persecution to build his church, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is our introduction to the Apostle Paul here in this passage. His name was Saul until it changed a little bit later. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And, and Paul talks about this in his testimony in Philippians chapter 3 and in 1 Timothy where he calls himself the chief of sinners because he comes to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and everything changes. But right here, his name is Saul and he's dragging Christians off to prison. He's persecuting Christians. House after house, he's hunting them down, dragging men and women off. Think about the persecution of these Christians, right? Things are difficult. Things are difficult today, but they've always been difficult. As a child of God, as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be trouble. That's what Jesus said, right? And we see it right here. The life of a true Christian will always come with trouble. Also, this is amazing because we look at Saul's life and we look at what it becomes. No one is too far for the power of God to change your life. No one is too far. Saul here is persecuting Christians. He's taking them to prison, all these things. And then one day he is proclaiming the gospel. He is giving his very life for the sake of Jesus Christ. No one is beyond God's reach, beyond God's Grace And so something has started here. And then in verse 4, let's continue. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. God's plan. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Think about this for a second as we pause there. These disciples, some of which who had hid when Jesus was arrested and taken to be crucified, they were scared. They had just seen Stephen be stoned to death. Saul bragging, uh, dragging men and women from their beds. Peter and John, having been thrown in prison just before this, went about preaching the word. They were faithful in preaching the message of Jesus Christ. It's powerful. And this was a special time in the life of the church and of these disciples. These miracles and signs that said people were, um, people were being healed. Christ was establishing his church in many ways that we don't necessarily see today, right? These, these signs that are described, these miracles, these were signs that Jesus was who he said he was and that the gospel was true. And some may say, why don't we see miracles like this every day, all day, like it seems like they did back then? But see, miracles in Scripture, as you study them and look throughout Scripture, they're acts of God that proclaim His sovereign power over creation, right? And as well, His commitment to you and I, to His created, to His, He's faithful to His people. They point to God's kingdom. They point to the restoration of creation. 
Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, he said, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus declared these things that I'm doing, these things that you see is that you would know that the kingdom of God has come. Tim Keller wrote, we modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order, but Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. God still does miracles today. It may not look like we think it should. It may not look like some of these stories. However, God is still actively at work in the, in the world. He heals. He restores. He brings people to himself. He brings glory to Jesus. He, he builds his church. The greatest miracle of all is that he is restoring men and women to our original natural order which is a right relationship with him. And so there are miracles still happening. And so we see this as something cool's happening. And there's joy in the city. And then in verse 9, it says, But there was a man named Simon. There's always a man named Simon. Who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Whoa. Now, if this doesn't describe our culture, I don't know what does. I'm something great. We have a, one group of people saying I'm great, and we have another group of people paying attention. We've been, as a culture, focused on these two things, calling ourselves great and paying attention to those who say they're great and ascribing greatness where greatness does not belong. I remember we were watching a political debate not too long ago on TV and my daughter Ruby came in the room and she heard all the talking and everything. She walked in and she, she goes, I just don't see any grown-ups around anymore. <laughs> Where are the grown-ups? Where's the wisdom? Where's the discernment? Listen, Christians, we are called to follow Jesus first and foremost. Not to be tossed by the wind and the waves of the culture and what's popular and what's not. But Simon, this magician, he had been a popular guy and they were looking, they were loving what he did. He was entertaining and amazing the people. He was highly regarded. People were calling him the power of God, right? They were eating it up. But look in, in verse 11, it says, And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And this describes, when I read this last paragraph, just describes a confused culture to me. Hey, this is awesome. Yeah, you're, oh, wait, wait, what about this? Well, look at you. Wait, wait. No discernment, but just kind of desperate for something, desperate to follow someone, to believe something. One minute it's here, one minute it's there. But Philip comes in, and Philip is the adult. And they heard his message, and they recognized that it was good news. In the midst of the chaos and the brokenness, God was working in those people's hearts. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? God is pursuing you this morning. God is pursuing you. He's pursuing me. 
and it seems overwhelming, but the gospel is still good news. It still cuts to the heart just like it did for you. He's called us to be faithful to live it and be ready to share it. Even in the chaos of what was happening in this town, so much in the city, so much going on in the, in the midst of New York City and wherever you're, maybe you're visiting from somewhere else, wherever you're at, there's so much of the world happening. Listen, the message of Jesus Christ still cuts to the heart because it's the power of God and the salvation. And so... When the church was dispersed, remember it said that uh, many of them were pushed out. Philip went to Samaria. Samaria was a place where no good Jew would go. But he went right there to tell them about Christ. He went there to tell them that the, the good news of Jesus Christ means there, there need not be any more division. There need not be any more hatred. There need not be any more war because Christ came to make them new. This is a big deal. And this can be a barrier for people even today. The message of Jesus, we hear lots of caricatures, lots of stereotypes. Christianity, oh, that's, a, that's for certain people. That's for if you're from here, if you look a certain way, or that's a Southern thing, or that's a Republican thing. Or There's all kinds of stereotypes. And part of that is the church's fault. We fed into a lot of that. But we, as followers of Jesus, must be willing, like Philip was willing, to get into the lives of those who think differently, believe differently, look differently, to demonstrate Christ. We are called to cross those barriers, not to huddle up, but to go, to demonstrate and communicate who Jesus is. And Philip went straight to the Samaritans. And it says, as Philip preached, people believed they were baptized, both men and women. Listen, don't forget, these people were signing, in some ways, their death warrants, right? Remember what was happening? Paul, Saul, and others were going about dragging people into prison, being stoned to death. The great collection by Saul and the government of the Christians. And yet, these people, when they heard the message of Christ, that he's come to make you new, he's come to cleanse your sins, they were raising their hand, sign me up, sign me up. They were being baptized. Being baptized is, is that public statement. Not only do I say I believe, but I want to demonstrate that I'm, I'm dying with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ, and now I have a new life. They were doing all those things. Listen, when Christ grabs a hold of you, he doesn't let go. He changes everything. Life, death, suffering, joy, it all means something new. It all means something different. We don't measure it the way that the world measures it, the way that we once measured it. It even says Simon believes and was baptized. Wow. It says, in seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. This magician was impressed. Pick it up in verse 14. It says, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God... They sent to them Peter and John. Hopefully Philip didn't take that as an insult. They sent over Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, this is a precious time in the life of the church, right? God is establishing the gospel, the church. 
It's hard for us to grasp what was happening, what had been happening between the Samaritans and the Jewish people during this period of time. About 740 years prior to this, Israel was conquered by the Assyrians, right? And Israel was taken into captivity. But some of the Israelites began to marry with some of the Assyrians. And so Samaritans were half Jewish, half Gentile, ethnically and religiously. And this was an abomination to the Jewish people. They saw these people as mutts, as unclean. They were hated outcasts in the eyes of the common Israelite. And the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jewish people. Nobody likes to be hated. So there was this friction. You might say, so what? Well, when Jerusalem heard, Jerusalem, the capital of Jewish life and culture, when the leaders there, the Christian leaders, but Jewish converts, heard that the Samaritans had received the word, that they were saying now that they're in the family, they sent some leaders. They sent some leaders down there because this was a big deal. And so Peter and John went to Samaria and they discerned that the Holy Spirit had not been yet received by these converts. I'm not sure how they did that. But they discerned that the Spirit had not yet fallen, and so they prayed for them. Remember Pentecost a few chapters ago? The Holy Spirit fell on the church, right? Empowered the church to be witnesses for Christ. We're not told how exactly it happened here, whether it was tongues of fire and the wind and all that happening, but it says that the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so I want to pause just for a second because... You may have the question, wait a minute, I thought Christians were sealed by the Holy Spirit when they received Jesus Christ. What happened? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. I'm glad you're thinking about that question. You should be. Because Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So what What gives here? What's the difference? Well, remember, this is the birth. This is the establishing of the church. And so there's several not-so-typical things that God is doing. By the way, God is allowed to do it that way, whatever way he sees fit. But he's establishing to these Samaritans, to these Gentiles, and to the Jewish converts that, yes, indeed, the gospel, the new covenant, is extended to every tribe Every tongue, it breaks down all racism, all classism, all tribalism, all nationalism. Jesus came to heal both Jew and Gentile, to save, to free male and female. Christ has broken down every barrier. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Listen, what the politicians keep promising to do, Jesus did. Whatever else the world promises about finding world peace and peace with your neighbor and us all being unified and loving one another is deception. It will never happen until Jesus Christ is Lord over my life, over your life, and we are bound together through Him. He alone tears down the wall of separation. And so Christ does it like this in order to continue to lay the foundation. So what He is doing is, 
It says in verse 18, now when Simon saw that the spirit was, okay, don't let me get through that yet. So, So what does that have to do with the Samaritans? Well, he was establishing, he was showing the people, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, demonstrating the Holy Spirit, yes, is for the Samaritans as well. Yes, it's for the Jewish people, but they came down to demonstrate to this giant group of people, to this city, to ensure the Samaritans know this is for you. It's an act of the Holy Spirit moving and working and the people discerned it and they saw it. They saw Peter and John who were respected. They said, yes, this is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And so he demonstrates it there that way. Verse 18, now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying, hand, uh, laying on of the apostles' hands. So obviously there was something to see. And that was the point. God was showing them, demonstrating. Yes, it's for them as well. He said, give me this power also. Or he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This shows us a little something, reveals us a little something about Simon's faith, right? Or lack thereof. Simon had been a big shot at one point, but he was maybe past his prime. But here these apostles come and they're, they're amazing people. People are following them. And he wants that back. This Jesus stuff is great, but I want that. Show me how to do <clears throat> that. He shows us something very important here. It teaches us something Simon, what Simon wanted what was what Jesus could give him. He wanted this power to make this thing happen for himself. He didn't even ask for the Holy Spirit himself. His concern, he possessed this trick, this ability. From his perspective, he'd come from a life of entertainment, accolades, people's adoration, buying and selling, earning and achieving He wanted that. How do I get that? How do I earn that? How do I pay for that? And Peter answers, much like Spurgeon, verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Peter does not play around. Basically says to heck with you and your money. It perish with you. That's not how this works. This is the gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't be rich enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't work hard enough for it. This is a spiritual, supernatural thing. Simon was missing the very message of the gospel that he claimed to believe beforehand. Remember a little while before he said it said that even Simon believed. Because he was amazed at the great works. But Peter says, you have neither part nor lot. What those original words mean, you have neither portion, you don't have any of this, or inheritance. You don't have the right to it. You don't have it, you won't get it. Because you're trying to get it by your money. You're trying to earn it. Now we weren't, we're not told here whether or not Simon's belief from before was real, but it's fleshed out here that something is wrong. There's evidence that this belief was not accompanied by faith and repentance. 
Because that's what Peter calls him to here in a second. I can say I believe that chair will hold me all day, but until I have faith, put my faith in it and sit in it, that belief is simply that. Peter understands because he's headed for a cross of his own. He understands this is life and death. This is not, this is not a uh, transaction. He saw a Savior on a cross bleeding and dying. He saw him alive, standing with his hands open. He was offended by Simon's selfish request. And he says in verse 22, Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Peter points to his heart. Your heart is not right before God. Pray, repent, so that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter said, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness, which means the gall, the bile, or the poison of bitterness. Simon's motivation for wanting to do this, Peter saw, was jealousy, was bitterness. It was a heart obsessed with self still. His own circumstances, his own pride. And this is what keeps us from coming to Christ in earnestness and fullness is that it means dying to self. That's not a popular message. It means acknowledgement of my sinfulness, my brokenness, my insufficiency on my own to reach God or know Him, to know life. And for many people, that's just unacceptable. It says earlier in verse 13 that Simon believed, right, and was baptized. Simon saw with his eyes what was happening. He heard the message and he believed it. Yes, I think that's true. It's hard to determine whether that's real faith in believing, but we have the benefit of hearing Simon, uh, Peter's direction to Simon. You need to repent. You are still in the bonds of sin. And the way to freedom is repentance, turning from that, not adding Jesus. A lot of us want to add Jesus to our lives already. We have plans. We have dreams. Come along, Jesus. I'll... I'll I'll give you an hour or two on Sunday and that's it. But I got stuff to do. Come on, I want you to go with me though. That's not how he works. He wants us. He wants our heart. And Simon was still bound. It had nothing to do with that. It says in verse 24, And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Simon wanted Peter to repent for him. I just told you what to do. Repent. Turn. Confess your sin. You pray for me. This is when they had testified and spoken. Uh, when, now when they had testified and spoken the word of, God, uh, word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. They got back to it. The disciples got back to it. So what does this mean? Wrapping this whole passage up. What is it here for? What does it mean for you and for me? Because obviously, well, maybe. None of us are magicians. Maybe. Right? None of us have come with a bankroll to try and get God's blessing. If you have, don't, don't leave yet. Talk to me afterwards. It's, but it's not about that. It's not about that. The question this morning is, 
Am I trying to manipulate God? Are you trying to manipulate God? And so I challenge you to ask yourself a couple questions this morning. First of all, where are you bargaining with God in your life? God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. Sometimes it's subconsciously. Sometimes it's subtle. What are you holding back? What are you waiting for to take a step of faith? Or maybe you've had the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin in your life or relationship in your life, whatever it is, and you're waiting. You're not completely sold out yet. You're waiting for God or for life to do something. Are you waiting for God to get you to a certain place? A certain place in your life? A certain place in your faith? Are you waiting for yourself to get yourself to a certain place? Once I get here, once I accomplish this, once I reach this place, then I'll, then I'll be more committed. Then I'll grow in my faith. I'll, I'll read the Bible. I'll, I'll pray or whatever. I'll, I'll put the relation, my relationship with God uh, center. But first, I've got to do these other things. God does not bargain with us. You know, as, as parents, I was talking about this with uh, some young parents the other day. We never did the count to three thing. Does anybody know what the count of three three? Does any of your parents do that with you? Like it's like, Sophie, sit down. <laughs> I'm gonna count to three. No, I said sit down. I don't uh, you do what you gotta do. Um, but you know what I mean? We didn't bargain with our kids, we didn't make a deal with our kids. To be obedient is to be obedient. When God speaks to us, when the Holy Spirit convicts us. He calls us to obey. The Holy Spirit doesn't make deals. You know why God doesn't make deals with us? Because we've got nothing to bring to the table. Everything we have is worthless and broken. And he tells Simon, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon was bound. We are bound on our own. What we have is chains And what was driving Simon to bargain was his bitterness, right? It was his selfishness, jealousy. Oftentimes, when we're, our relationship with God, when we, when we try to make any progress in that, it's, it's, it's centered on myself. Let me bargain with God. Let me give you a little here and a little there. But he calls us to more than that. You can't be good enough. You can't straighten yourself out enough. And that's what Satan will tell you. That's what he'll whisper to you when you get to that place where you feel conviction. I need to surrender. He'll tell you, you got time. You're not so bad. You can straighten yourself out. You need to, you need to figure some things out first. Sometimes we do this bargaining by leveraging even our spiritual duties or commitment, right? I go to church. I mean, I'm here this morning. Come on. There's a lot of other things I could be doing. I could have slept in or even in my serving or my giving, whatever it is. It could be subtle, but God owes me. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's doing all the heavy lifting here. And this is a hard pill to swallow for 
us in our flesh, especially New Yorkers. I remember we had a, a, a mission team here from down uh, Alabama or something. They were up and they were uh, at our apartment. We were getting ready to come in and there was one of our neighbors was moving a couch up to like the 11th floor and they couldn't get it up. They're having issues or whatever. And we said, hey, we got some strong, you know, Alabama boys here. We'll pick it up. And they, they picked it up and took it all the way. That family was floored. What, wait a minute, let me pay you. Let me, no, no, we don't want anything. No, 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 I have to pay you. I'm here. here, I have a fridge full of beer. You guys, you know, come on, let's hang out and whatever. No, 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 really, we just do this to bless you. The next day, there's a, there's a plant or a flower out in a card outside of our door. People are floored because they want to pay. I want to I pay my way, right? We have people over for dinner all the time, and it's like, what, what can I bring? What can I do? Which is a great, that's a great response. But with God, it's surrender. We can't do anything but bring our brokenness. It's about Him. And what I miss out when I try to manipulate God or, or bargain with God is I miss out on God. I miss His plan for my life. I miss His pleasure, His promises. Listen, your life and my life will only go as far as we can make it, right? And we're not the first ones here on this earth. People have been doing it since the beginning of time, and it doesn't amount to much. You'll find that it's, it doesn't get you very far. Work as hard as you can. Get all that you think you want and even more. But before you know it, it will all be over. And all you'll have is what you were able to kick and scratch for, and maybe your kids will fight for it. But God will not be manipulated. You get to the end of life, you don't have God. You don't have Christ. He will let you. He will let you go it alone. Now, Christian, he will not leave you. But the only thing Christ asks of you and I this morning is complete and total surrender. Surrender your life. Surrender every area of your life. Surrender your heart. Remember, he told Simon, your heart is the problem. It's not about what you've got. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. You're not bad-mouthing having stuff. It's your heart. He wants that. God wants that. So, number one, where are you bargaining with God? But also, where are you managing God in your life? Are you managing him? See, at the heart of manipulation is already a preconceived idea of the way I think things should go, the, the things I think and the way I think things should happen in my life and in my circumstances. I already have the results defined for me what I want. And so consciously or unconsciously, I'm working to make that happen. And so my life is scheduled out according to my own ability to imagine and figure out what I need to do. And I fit God into that. God will not be managed. God wants your heart. He wants to be at the center. He will not be manipulated. Expect God when you trust in Him, when you, when you quit trying to manage God and just lay your life before Him, he does, that's when He does miracles. That's when we see Him move. We are talking about this the other night at discipleship gathering in our apartment. The guys, it was like sometimes we get cold in our faith. I'm convinced the reason we get cold in our faith is because we, we have not let go of control. The life lived with Christ is exciting. 
It's an adventure. We never know what is going to happen, but we have to let go. We have to look up beyond our circumstances, beyond my own plans. Yesterday morning, I was at a coffee shop here, Joe's down on 60-something Street, and I was finishing up the message here. And a, a, a lady came in, an elderly lady, and came in. And as soon as she came through the door, I was sitting right at the door. The door opened up, and I just I had my headphones in. I kind of looked up, and she caught my eye with her eyes, and she smiled. like I was like, oh, hey. And then she, I didn't know her. She went and got her coffee. And then she sat down a couple of seats from me. And then all of a sudden I heard, I had my earphones so you can hear also, but I had music playing. She said, what are you writing? I said, okay, here we go. Um, well, I'm a pastor and I'm writing a message. Um, she said, oh, that's lovely, that's wonderful. So I kept working. And then she goes, a couple minutes later, she goes, um, what's your message? <laughs> I was like, all right, let me take these out. <clears throat> I just looked at her and I said, my message is that we can't manipulate God. We can't manipulate his love for us. We can't earn his love for us. It's a gift. Oh, that's so beautiful. Wow, that is, the world needs that. We need that today. She said, no bargaining with God, right? And I said, yeah, God doesn't bargain. He, he offers his love. He gives his love. You can't earn it. And he can't be manipulated. You can't convince him. It's there. He loves you. Oh, that's so, that's so wonderful. So I was like, mm. and then she said, uh, you know, can I just tell you one more thing and then I'll leave you alone? She said, this morning, I just flew in from L.A. and staying in a friend's apartment. This morning, I said a little prayer. And I said, God, will you cause something unexpected to happen today? Something beautiful, even impossible. And she said that it just happened, that, that message, it just happened. And I said, oh, that's awesome, yeah, wow, that's awesome, and praise God. And I said, you know, when you first came in the door, the door opened, I looked up, and you caught me with your eye, and you smiled, and I smiled back, you know. And I said, I wonder if, because you prayed that this morning, if you're not looking, if you're not expecting God to do that, if you're not expecting God to do something unexpected, Something beautiful, even impossible. And so as you walk through the door of the coffee shop, you're like, is it, is it you? Is it, where is it? I said, that, and, and I responded, I said, that's how we should live life. Cast it on the Lord and then trust that he's going to answer and live life looking up. I said, I try to teach my kids, look up, because so many of us go through life with our, with our head down. Even as Christians, we go through, we got it. I got it all figured out. Jesus came down on the cross. I got it. Whatever. And let's get life done. No. Surrender every day and expect the unexpected. Expect God to do what God does, something you can't plan out, something you can't necessarily manage. It's funny because as she left, she goes, maybe you'll use this in your message. <laughs> she doesn't know I use everything in my message. Um, <laughs> ask my kids. Okay. Well, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Listen, when you pray... Are you open to a different answer? 
than you're praying for? Are you open to God taking that situation and doing something that you don't expect? Or do you already have what you know God should do and he's either going to say yes, no, or maybe, right? No, maybe he's going to do something completely different. What prayer does is we come before him, we lay it before him and say, God, have your way. Like Jesus did in the garden, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. It's so critical that we understand our instincts. Your instincts are broken. Mine are too, living in this fallen world, in this fallen body. And what happens is, like I said, we begin to lose hope. We lose joy because I'm looking at life through the lens of what is possible and what I can accomplish. Listen, our God is a God of miracles. And he does it in ways that are not typical. And he does it in ways that we don't expect every day. And so, in closing, this morning, to know Jesus, to come to Jesus for the salvation of your soul, to reconcile you with the Father, means I give up on trying to save myself. Put your faith completely in Christ and what he has done on the cross for your sin to make you right. Your money's no good here. Your works are no good here. It is Jesus by him and through him. Bring your brokenness, honestly, your sin to the cross. Repent, as Peter said, and turn from it to Christ. He will make you new. That's how good God is. Christian, where are you trying to manipulate God this morning? Where are you trying to fit him in a box? A box with walls made up of your own desires, your own fears, your pride, your lack of faith. Listen, all of us this morning, just as Peter called Simon to, we're called to repent. It doesn't mean that we have to be forgiven again. Jesus is taking care of that on the cross. It means we recognize, we agree with God, and we turn from the direction we're going. Today, my prayer is that you would agree with John the Baptist who understood that the inclination of his own flesh and his heart was to take over. And he had that opportunity to bring glory to himself, to manipulate his life. And you have this option this morning to manipulate your life in such a way that you can take the path of least resistance, the path that seems right. You're smart enough to figure out a good path where you'll make enough, meet the right person benefit the the most. But what John understood was, he said this, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. This This is all of our prayer this morning, I pray. God still does miracles. He's called us to surrender. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, God, that even though we are broken, and we know that we are broken, and yet we continue to run. We, we continue to try and manage our lives, to manage you. Or what you've called us to is complete surrender each and every day. To lay our lives before you. We know that it doesn't mean that we'll have an easy path. But we know that it will be one of peace. It will be what we were created for. It will be from your perspective of good and bad. It will be from your perspective of blessing and strength. So God, help us to release our grip, the death grip. Many of us hold on, sometimes it's just areas of our lives. 
and we hold on to, we bargain with you, we try to manage you, we try to convince you, we try to ignore you. God, may we lay it before you this morning. I can't tell everybody where that is in their hearts, God, but, but we know. Your Spirit reveals it to us. And Holy Spirit, reveal where we are trying to manipulate you. And Lord, thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for being loving to us. Thank you for not abandoning us. Be glorified this morning. 